Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. They say you can't control who you fall in love with, and that is true. I remember my dad asking me, what is going on with you and John Hadid? And all I could say was, dad, he whistles all the time, and it makes me so happy. However, you can choose who you marry. And while falling in love with John caught me by surprise, marrying him was one of the most conscious, considered, prayed over decisions of my life. Ultimately, I married John because I trusted him. I trusted that his natural humility and utter lack of pretension, his work ethic, and his enthusiasm for all the little moments of life would just see us through whatever came our way. Like every couple, it definitely took us some time to integrate our dramatically different communication styles, and we've been through patches over 18 years where everything seemed to be in short supply, energy, health, sleep, understanding, even faith. But I have never regretted the decision to marry John Hadid. He has risen to every challenge, personally and professionally. His optimism, grit, and faith have held us together as a family. And as we move away from the infant and toddler years and into our middle-aged years, a term which John still won't accept, we are a stronger team than ever. Everything we build, from our family, to his business, to this podcast, we really truly are in it together. So I wanted you as listeners of the podcast to meet him. And based on the comments over on Instagram, a lot of you wanted to meet him also. So in this interview, we tried to answer most of your questions as we just chatted about spinach pies and stuffed grape leaves, John's Arabic heritage, and also adoption, work, and fatherhood. Here's my husband, John Hadid. Okay, so first of all, thank you for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. I was looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you haven't. I, I have been, actually. It's been a long time coming, so. <laughs> okay, just to start on a cooking note, you make 95% of the eggs in the family. I do. Mark, Nicholas and I probably go through about 8 to 10 eggs on a, on a good day. Um, mm -hmm. If Marcus and somebody else jump in, then we're, we're a dozen out. You know, I was making eggs for Nicholas the other day. Do you know what he said? No. You don't know? No. I was making <laughs> eggs for Nicholas, and he was like, you know whose eggs I like. <laughs> I was like, whose eggs do you like, Nicholas? I like daddy's eggs. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not sure what the, uh, the special ingredient is, but uh, I've learned not to burn the bottom of them. That's mm -hmm. the, that's the, that's one of the keys. After you, my constant complaining, you have to watch the eggs while you cook them. <laughs> you, can't, you can't actually go and work for a little bit and then come back and stir them every now and then. No, no. Um, let's see. So spinach pies. Spinach pies. That's the recipe you chose. Now, first yeah. of all, I'm really curious about this. Have you ever made spinach pies? No, I've never made them. I've never even, I don't think I've ever even seen them being made. As Which I was, is amazing to me. You know, I picked it because, so I started double double think myself. It was actually a toss up between that and grape leaves. Oh, stuffed grape leaves. Yeah. Of course. So, yeah. you know, I, I went with the spinach pies because I actually liked them the best at that time. Um, mm -hmm. Now I like them both pretty much equal, but... 
at the time, that was what I liked the most. Mm-hmm. I didn't really like Arabic food that much at the time. At, okay, so at the time. Tell me what that yeah, means. Yeah, at the time, I'd say probably before college, to be honest with you. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of it, I did not like. But the spinach pies, I did look forward to. And it's, it is interesting. I don't know if it's because I just grew up with them, but I've had them from like restaurants and stuff, but they're never they were never as good no. as when my aunt made them or my yeah. aunts made yeah. them. So the grape leaves are a better story because I actually was in the kitchen quite a bit. So my grandmother lived up the street from me. Mm-hmm. And so we would I would go up there. So I cut her lawn. And so every time I would mm-hmm. cut her lawn, I'd go in and just hang out for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so she'd have grape leaves all over the kitchen, just, <laughs> just you know, with, with her rice in the pot. And she'd just be sitting there rolling them. Now, was she making them special for you? No, you no, cut no. The lawn? She just, so part of the Arabic culture is you, when you go to someone's house, the first thing that happens when you walk in there, they say, are you hungry? <laughs> It doesn't and, matter what you answer. Well, and the, it's, it's not really a question. It's like, come inside and eat. And and her, she would always say, tocho. And I'm not even 100% sure what that means, but I always felt like it meant, come inside and eat something. Mm-hmm. And and like, it's you really can't say, I'm not hungry. Right. You try, but you can't. No. So, you know, you learn to say, okay. And if you preemptively ask for a small amount, you can mm-hmm. get away versus... Oh. If you say nothing, they uh-huh. give you a lot. So, <laughs> so, but, but no, so my grandmother, you know, she was, I mean, we would come home from, so Powder Mill Road is where I grew up mm-hmm. and it was a pretty busy road and we'd be mm-hmm. coming home from school because she would be standing on the side of Powder Mill Road, Get out of here. just picking grape leaves <laughs> and I'd be riding the bus home and like, we there's all, grandma. yeah, there's grandma on the side of the road, just picking up the grape leaves. So, so I probably should have said grape leaves as my store, as my food, because it has the you, better, you, it has the better story. But, um, yeah, I picked. That's okay. It's all part Spanish of the Arabic pie. feast. Yeah, I picked Spanish, spinach mm-hmm. pies because it's what I like the best. It's what you like the best. Okay. So who made the spinach pies and when would you eat those? So it was always my aunts. Mm-hmm. Um, How many aunts did you have, Mary? So you have, well, Lila. Lila, yeah. Lila, Mary, Jennif, Wadia, Karima, and Amal. Amal, yeah. The thing is, you never really knew who did what. Yeah. You, so when we ate, it was usually at like Easter or Christmas. Like we mm-hmm. all, every holiday, we did a family gathering. Mm-hmm. I mean, all my cousins and everything. It wasn't even so much about the food, you right. know. You knew the food was going to be there, but it really was like you just wanted to go see your cousins. Right. You know, and mm-hmm. so we just had such a good time. And it was mm-hmm. always at somebody else's house. Mm-hmm. So you always liked being at somebody else's house. And in particular, <laughs> my Aunt Wadia's house was the best house to be at. Why? Why Wadia's? Because um, she was in a... That's when they just started to develop out in Manassas. So it was pretty much just wooded area yeah. as far as you mm-hmm. could see. And she had a mm-hmm. house out in the middle of nowhere. My uncle Charlie, the same thing. Uh-huh. And so you just, when you got there, you just, you spend the whole time in the woods just doing whatever or playing and stuff. So yeah, it was, it was more about knowing you were going to be with your cousins and right. you came inside for maybe 15, 20 minutes to eat something, but then you were just right back outside. Right. right. So I have to tell you though, it's almost to our 18th anniversary and you have always talked about arabic food with so much fondness yeah and i've always you've always been grateful when i've tried to make arabic food this is literally the first time i've ever heard you say there was a period in your life you didn't like arabic food you know and yeah 
so I didn't eat it all the time. Right. You know, and so I didn't grow up on it. So in general, you know, we were eating just spaghetti and hamburgers. And so that's what I was used to. And so it wasn't so much that I disliked it because it was just was bad. Just I wasn't used to it. It wasn't something comfortable for me. Um, yeah. And then I think like with anything, just over time, your tastes change. Even now, I, you know, I enjoy trying new things. Yeah, um, you do. You know, mm-hmm. and so... You know, I just appreciate different different types of cooking and styles of cooking. And so And I um, do think that the Arabic having so much Arabic food early on expanded your palate because there's flavors that you're yeah. open to that I'm uh, uh, not. And besides the Arabic food, yeah. you actually had a very, very narrow diet. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny is actually and I'm saying that I didn't like it. I could be lying to you right now just because <laughs> you know, I, I started to think it back, well what did I what didn't I like? And I'm thinking kibbe. I like that. Tabula, I liked it. Hummus, I liked it. You're great. I was like, I liked it. I was like, I don't, I remember not really liking it that much, but I don't know if that's the case. I mean, I started to really understand and appreciate more what it took, Mm. you know, because I remember we would get to my aunt Lila's house sometimes Mm -hmm. before one of the parties. And I mean, you know, I mean, now that we host often you know you'd get there and i hadn't thought much about it before but you'd get there and i mean she'd already be in the kitchen just oh of course yeah cooking and that was just her part of the meal you know and all my other aunts were bringing stuff and you realize like what they were doing you know before to get there yeah so it's interesting to me that you ate all this arabic food but you never saw it being prepared do you think that your girl cousins had the same experience no 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 they were probably in the kitchen helping, right? Well, I, were I they? Assumed. Or like, like go back to Wadia's house, you, you know, the woods. Would they be out with you? Would they be in the kitchen? Well, Would they so, be in the kitchen before the meal? Then so out? Wadia was Teresa and Tony, right? So yeah. T- Tony was the older one. He's he's not in the kitchen. I can tell yeah. you that right now. <laughs> um, was Teresa in the kitchen? All my cousins that would have been in the kitchen were a lot older than me. Mm-hmm. So... And I can say just from talking with your cousins, I do think there was a big older, younger gap. And I can tell you the girls, they know how to cook. Yeah. Yeah. I, I specifically, I remember a specific time where Teresa talking about making makluba. You know, it's interesting because, I mean, it's a very gender based uh, culture. Culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like my Aunt Mary and Uncle Shafiq had a, had a store. And I mean, it was. From day one, it was expected that Isa, their oldest son, mm-hmm. worked in the store. Like, I mean, that's yeah. what he did. You know, whenever we mm-hmm. went over there, he was always working in the store. Mm-hmm. You know, now Nadia, I think, got away with not having Nadia to do is a Isa's lot of little that. sister. Yeah, Nadia was the youngest. So we're talking about all these people. It's, Amal, it's funny Jenna. because in school, right? <laughs> uh-huh. I'd be talking to somebody, and I'd be like, "Yeah, so me and my cousin," they'd be like. Who? Esau? And I'm like, no. And like, who? Joanne? No. And like, Kareem? No. Who? Debbie? No. Mike? And like, who, 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 how many cousins do you have? And, uh, you know, I did have a lot of cousins. And I'll say this I would never have traded that for the world. No. That was, no. That was, it, it, I mean, I, you look back and mm. it's partly sad because, and you miss those times. Obviously, everybody goes on and does mm-hmm. different things, but mm-hmm. they were just really good times. So, mm-hmm. so, we're talking about them and everybody's kind of like, okay, who are these people? They're making Arabic food. So tell us a little bit about the backstory of your family. Yeah, honestly, in some sense, you probably know a lot more than I do. 
you know, girl I, talk. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what that is, right? Mm. Or, or at least a different perspective. Mm. You know, I've always gotten the abridged version. Mm. I know that my grandfather came over to America in order to from from Palestine. Mm-hmm. My grandfather came over in the hopes of bringing everybody else over, and I believe it was three years before everybody else came over. I know my dad came over when he was around sixteen years old. I thought he was a little younger. I, I thought he was 13. It's possible. I'm. <laughs> I just know sure. his favorite story. Isn't it? What's it called? Booza? Oh, yeah. Booza. Oh, Booza. Man. That's a food story. Sure, <laughs> <Yeah>. that one. <laughs> so they came over and he spoke, he spoke no English. And so they were all at someone's house and someone had asked who wants ice cream. And, you know, he didn't know what ice cream was. So he didn't ask for any. Mm-hmm. And then when everybody got ice cream, he was like... <laughs> Oh, that's Booza, Booza, the ice cream in Arabic. And so he's like, I didn't know they were asking if you want Booza. So he didn't get any ice cream. And at that point, I guess he learned to start asking. I just think you guys like to tell that story because you just constantly say the word Booza. You just keep throwing it out all through the story every time you tell it. So yeah, he was a teenager regardless. He was a teenager and they came over and... My grandfather had a grocery store in D.C., and they lived, I'm pretty sure it was on Newton Street in D.C., and then from there, they but moved they to lived, Bladensburg. They moved to Bladensburg. They moved to Bladensburg oh. off of Varnum Street, which is a very, very steep hill, which is where I learned to drive clutch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> With your dad yelling the at Arab you all way, the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they lived there, and that's where, that's where they pretty much... I don't know how long they were in D.C., but as long as I never knew anything when they were, I always knew about the Bladensburg. We drove by the D.C. house one time just to okay. see it, but the D.C. house one time, but the Bladensburg house is where we would spend, if we ever went to see my grandfather, it was always in Bladensburg. No, but your, your, your Tata, your grandmother. So, yeah, they never officially got divorced, but as, far, as long as I ever knew, they were never together. So my grandfather lived in Bladensburg off of Varnum Street. And my grandmother, my teta, lived with my uncle Akram up the street from me. Oh, was that Uncle Akram's house? Yeah. So, I, which was around the corner from where you grew up. So my my dad bought a house in that neighborhood first, and my uncle Akram wanted to live next to my dad. So really? when a house came up for sale, he bought the house in the neighborhood. I mean, I knew it was your teta's house, but I always thought, you know, everybody kind of lived there, and then. I guess she was like an empty nester there. I had no idea your Uncle Akram bought it to be next to your dad, and then your Tata moved in. Yeah. Okay. I did not know that that was your Uncle Akram Street. And I have to say right now, wow, this is really kind of, (laughs) this is actually really touching me right now because people who are listening don't know this, but your Uncle Akram died in a car crash. So my Uncle Akram, yeah. Very pretty young too. Very young. Um, and then your brother Aki was named after him. So my uncle so my brother Aki was born on March fourth, um, nineteen seventy six. That was yesterday. Yeah. Did you say happy birthday yeah, to him? I, did. I didn't. You know, yeah, I yeah. kept saying, why is March fourth sticking in my <laughs> yeah, head? So and he that's was born why. March fourth, nineteen seventy six. And he was born, he was Matthew Thomas Hadid. Uh-huh. And then two weeks later, my dad's brother, or my uncle Akram, was killed in a car accident. Yeah. And so they changed his name to Akram Joseph Hadid. Yeah. 
But do you know why this is really striking me right now is because I was actually telling somebody earlier this week, we were doing an interview and somehow you came up, you come up in all my conversations, <laughs> sweetie. And Aki came up and just how you guys, a lot of brothers have a bond, but you guys have a very particularly special bond and in over 20 years of knowing you i've never really seen you guys argue yeah. you you differ yeah. and um yeah. you respect each other's differences yeah. and when you differ in opinion it's always in a very respectful way and to know that your dad and your uncle i i, I mean of course your dad always expresses grief when yeah, he talks about yeah. his brother dying yeah but honestly it's always been um Whenever I've heard your dad tell the story, I actually feel like he's always expressed a lot of sympathy for your grandmother. And he's kind of talked about, because he tells the story about how she had the dream and then she, you know, buried her son. But to know that your yeah. uncle Akram moved to the same street yeah. as your dad. Yeah, yeah. And to know your relationship with Aki, yeah. it just mm. makes me think of your dad and your uncle Akram and what he really lost and yeah. i have to tell you yeah. i feel really moved by that yeah. right now no they i don't know the extent of their relationship but i can tell you it was a pretty significant yeah one. for yeah. him to move to the same neighborhood just to be close to him yeah i think interestingly enough and i'm going to be careful but interestingly enough you know you know there is a lot to obviously you come over as immigrants and yeah. there's a lot mm -hmm. to the story about how you mm -hmm. just survive and yeah. make things happen mm -hmm. and i think my dad and my uncle akram took a big chunk of that load mm -hmm. and so together they kind of shared just keeping the store going mm. and caring well my uncle akram my, my, my grandmother moved in with my, my he lived right. she lived with my uncle right. akram so he took right. care of her and up until she was old, she, I mean, she took care of herself. I mean, she, yeah, sure. You know, <laughs> you um, guys have very uh, yeah. She, I mean, she, <laughs> independent. You know, I told spirits. you, you know, she'd be eighty years old or whatever it was, just walking down Potomac Road, picking like great you know, leaves. <laughs> you know, she, you know, she, you know, she, she took care of herself. Mm. I don't know if she ever got a driver's license though. I think mm. she, I think she, people always drove her around. That's amazing. But you know, he was there to take yeah. care of. You know. Yeah, and your dad, of course, was always there to help. And my dad was like, always he was there always to there yeah. to help. And I, I have to say, I'm actually understanding a little bit more about your dad right yeah. now, and even some of the stories that he brings up, and some of the the burdens that he carries with him. To know that he was that close. Yeah. To your uncle, yeah. like I said, all all siblings are. But I didn't. Yeah. I'm I'm actually right now putting him and your uncle Akram, I'm kind of imagining their relationship like yours and Aki's because the same yeah. thing, you guys were had a very special bond because yeah. it was really just, you know, I because you guys endured some hardship also. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that is what bonded you, yeah. just like for them. And, you know, I've told people this before, the only time I've ever seen you, I don't know if you cried, uh. <laughs> but the only time you were close is when your brother Aki was going into brain surgery. Was going into brain surgery. Yeah. And so again to imagine what your dad really lost there. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. the impact of that has never I'm hit not me sure now. that I fully know, but yeah, I agree. Yeah, well he's not going to talk I about agree. that easily. He always wanted to make it clear, you know, my uncle Akram was a very smart person. He mm -hmm. uh, he succeeded very well in the he worked for the Department of Defense, I think either as a contractor or as an employee, but he had just been accepted to MIT to do some more study. And so, and he even got a, a recognition letter for something he had designed for mm -hmm. the Navy that I mean, we couldn't know about it, but mm -hmm. just a letter of appreciation when he passed away. And mm -hmm. so, 
it was always so my dad always made it clear mm-hmm. or always wanted to tell those stories about my uncle Arkham. yeah and, he was and, so proud of yeah, him he was very very proud mm-hmm. of him mm-hmm. and again like i feel like you've really supported your brother it's funny because no not funny but so my uncle Akram liked to fly and in my grandmother's house there was always this picture mm. of it was an article so my uncle Akram called my dad one night and said hey do you have a set of keys to the house i lost my keys Mm. And my dad was like, you don't ever lose your keys. That doesn't make sense. So he came over and he got his keys. And he's like, so what happened? Where are your keys? Mm -hmm. And so he come to find out that as he was trying to land the plane, something went wrong and it crashed. So he lost his keys in the plane. (laughs) And so there was was always this newspaper article of this plane crash with my uncle Akram just, you know, sitting there. Mm. So, so. A lot. When you talk about your family's history, you really talk about this one side, the Arabic side, and that was just because your mom was not a huge. She was not a physically present part of your life. So you spent a lot of time with your Arabic side of the family. Yeah. Well, and, and that was. And did you feel like you were Arabic? Is that how you identified? No, yourself? no, 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 no. I did not identify. I did not identify as Arabic at the time. You know, so my parents got divorced in 83 when I was, what, about seven. So, you know, everything we Nine. did was... You were um, born in 74. I was born in 74. <laughs> I don't know how old I am. I have, to, I have to calculate it every year. So, so you know, we, I just never really knew that side of the family. So you did not identify as Arabic or Palestinian? No. Yeah, actually... It's interesting. I don't even know if I thought about identity much at all <laughs> when I was younger. I don't think you know. I don't think kids do very much. much, and I think especially all. back then, it really wasn't even a concept that we discussed very much. No, it wasn't. You know, the only time it really became anything I would even think of is you know when I was in high school. That's when we went to war, you know, over the whole Persian Gulf, mm. right? When Saddam Hussein went into the Persian Gulf, and that's when. You know, I think people knew I was Arabic before I knew I was Arabic mm. because people would make comments to me mm. and I had never really thought much about it. Mm. You know, I'd get a side of the story because I hear my dad talking or something like that, you mm-hmm. know, but I never thought much or never really even cared much about it, to be honest with you. That's interesting because it's something your dad and your family, your family of that generation and your cousins who have two Arabic parents. Yeah feel yeah. very strongly about they feel very strong absolutely and and even to this day i mean you know they're they're on top of you know the different news mm-hmm. on that area and what's going on over there and and again i don't keep on top of it but they would clearly say there's a, a, a just a complete mistreatment of the arabs in that area over there and mm-hmm. and a lot of injustice yeah mm-hmm. at some point at some point, I feel like your Palestinian heritage did come to me a lot to you. It did, and it does today. What do you think? I don't know. I really don't know. You know, I remember being embarrassed by it, and maybe that's why I didn't think about it much. But at some point, I was just like, I actually came to really appreciate the Arab culture. Mm. And, and I feel like I would talk to person after person in their run-ins or their interactions with Arab people, and they always just spoke so positive of it, you know? Hmm. Like, can you think of an example? Um, of- oh, man. Well, so I used to, the church I went to, the, the pastor was Dr. Clark. Mm. And actually, even Palmer Robertson. 
they would both just talk about friends that they had that were Palestinian and they just had just really nice things to say about mm. them. And I can't say when it switched mm-hmm. for me. I, I just don't remember. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, again, I think identity is kind of a word that we use a lot more. So probably kids become maybe aware of it more. But I think, you know, even in literature, coming of age stories always happen in early to late teens. So it's not surprising that you just didn't think about it that much yeah, until your teenage, maybe maybe your high school years. I would say, I would actually, I remember going through high school, not really. So you were aware it was part of your identity oh, internally, oh, but you I mean, were not externally like accepting oh, or embracing that identity. A, I, mean, I mean, I heard Arabic speech being spoke all the time. Right. Like, like it was clear, like, you know, right. um, I think a lot of it, and as I'm looking at this, you know, at some point, I think really, I think I probably suppressed some of it because, mm. you know, you're trying to make friends mm. and it wasn't going to make you friends. Mm. At least I felt like it wasn't. Mm. So whereas once you got out of high school, you don't really care. Mm. Like, you, you know, mm-hmm. at some point you don't care. So mm. I think I was, fr- I think maybe, maybe I felt free to embrace it now because mm. I was like, I just don't care what people think anymore, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't know. I would expect also because you were so close to some cousins to whom it's really important. Again, they grew up in two two Arab mm-hmm, mm-hmm. parent homes. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, your mom wasn't no. Arabic. And I think probably as it became began to matter more and more to them, their influence on you was strong. Is a, That's a you guess know, of mine. I, well, it's a good guess. I mean, like my cousin Natty, I mean, stuff, but we were, mm-hmm. she was like my sister growing up. I mean, mm-hmm. we... If I wasn't there every day, at some point it mm-hmm. would it would have been odd, you know. Mm-hmm. So that'd be very easy. And and she had both Arabic parents, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I would easily believe that. Mm-hmm. So we have this situation where your dad obviously had this massive influence on you mm-hmm. and in shaping your identity. And a big part of that, like you said, I mean, he spoke Arabic all the time. All Anytime the time. he picked yeah. up the phone, yeah, it, was, it Arabic. was Arabic, you know. Yeah. Obviously, he has very, very, very strong feelings about the Palestinian plight and yeah. injustices, you know, yeah. both overseas and in the U.S. Mm-hmm. What other ways would you say he was shaping your identity? And it was not in the kitchen. <laughs> no. I mean, I would say it was definitely on a work ethic. You know, my mm. dad, I mean, I think everybody in my family basically owned a business. They, they all worked for themselves. My uncle, my uncle, uncle Shafiq and Aunt Mary mm-hmm. had a little market. My uncle Charlie had a printing press. Um, mm-hmm. My Aunt Jennifer ran, you know, she bought and sold things. Mm-hmm. My Aunt Lila did real estate and other things. My Aunt Kathy always did hair. I mean, mm-hmm. so everybody owned something. My well, dad, everyone came way past the age at which you could get an education and there's yeah. really two ways to find yeah. success. Like if you're not going to stay on the lower socioeconomic yeah. level, you either have or, to have an education to get a high paying job or you have to start your own business. Yeah. No, it's and true. that's what they all did. It's true. Mm-hmm. And so, and when you do that, I mean, you know, the hours can be brutal. I mean, mm-hmm. you're always, mm-hmm. you're always on mm-hmm. when you own something, you're, you're mm-hmm. always on. Um, any problem is your problem. And so, mm-hmm. I got to see that and I was always a part of it, whether it was just coming along for a ride to the cash and carry to pick up groceries mm-hmm. or, 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 you know, stock to replenish the mm-hmm. shelves, you know, mm-hmm. um, or staying back to work the store while or he did that, staying back to work the store while he mm-hmm. did it. Mm-hmm. You know, you were always a part of that. And, you know, it's interesting because it, it felt kind of natural just because there was never a distinction between normal life and work. 
Mm. It was just you lived. And mm. sometimes you were working and sometimes you were riding the subway just to go down to D.C. Mm. for July. Like you just, there was no idea of, well, you know, you go off to work, you go off to this. And mm. it's just, you kind of just did these things. And that's what life was about, mm. you know, which mm-hmm. I feel like COVID kind of brought that back a little bit, to be mm. honest with you, you know. And when I was little, I hated it. Right. Because you didn't want to spend all your time at the store. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you know, it's a it's really interesting what you're saying. You're making me think of an interview that I did this summer with Nadia. Mm-hmm. And she and let me think she is. Um, yeah. Her pa- father. Pakistani. Right. Yeah. Her father would bring her along. Yeah. On and he trips. brought her everywhere. He brought yeah. her to business meetings in the middle of New York City. Yeah. And it seems like there's a lot of cultures where that is the common life and work is like you say just mixed together yeah and what that means is that there's a lot of on-the-job training more so in I guess like the character or personality traits that you need in order to be successful than maybe the specific you know so for instance he wasn't teaching you how to write code you own a software company But that wasn't the point. He was teaching you how to be entrepreneurial. He was teaching you how to be hardworking. He was teaching you how to how to work with your kids around, which is something you're amazingly yeah. good at. Yeah. And I've never really thought about that either, honestly, is that you come from a culture in which life and home was very mixed. And that might actually be better than what we have. We're constantly oh, separating, separating, I, separating everything. And kids yeah. don't really know what no. it means to have a job. No, I... I, you know, look, and, and again, I think mm. if you asked me as a kid, I did not feel like spending an hour or two at the cash and carry. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I remember walking through the cash and carry, right? And my dad saw a product that he didn't carry. So he would, it would be a box of something. He'd pull the box out and he'd just start doing calculations. If I buy it for this much, how much mm. does it cost me per each one? If I do the markup and like, he like, I had to sell it for this much. And then he had to think, could I sell it for that much? Mm. And if he could, he'd buy it and try it out. If, right. he, if he couldn't, he wouldn't buy it. So you just, the idea of... You know, he had to buy and sell things in his store and trying to figure out if it was going to be profitable Mm -hmm. or not. And so that Mm -hmm. just, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just, yeah, just, that's what you saw day in and day out. Hmm. Yeah. So those are the ways that you feel like your dad influenced you is the idea of a work ethic, the idea of being able to seamlessly mix. Yeah. And then I would say also, family and work. And chair, you know, my dad was very charitable with his time. Mm. You know, I just, I just think through, you know, I'm sure there were times where he'd said no. I mean, mm. I'm, I know there are, but you know, you never felt like, and my cousins felt the same way. You mm-hmm. just, you, if you needed something and you needed something now, you know, my dad would, mm. you know, that their, if their car wouldn't start, mm. they'd call my dad, you know, mm-hmm. my dad would go over and help them figure out mm-hmm. how to start their car. Or if my uncle's, you know, mm-hmm. furnace didn't start, they'd call my dad. He'd come over and help them work on the furnace. Like, mm. He was always available to help somebody, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it wasn't like he had a shortage of things to do. He no, had, he had a mm-hmm. ton of things to do, but he always mm-hmm. he found a way to, to, to figure that out mm-hmm. and make that work, mm-hmm. you know. Well, and that's very much you because yeah. I remember because people people want to know because I ask people what questions they have and they, of course, always want to know how we met. And the answer is. The the short answer is through church, but there's a longer answer because there was this age gap that we kind of knew of each other for a long time before we knew each other. But what I always knew, everybody, everybody from like a kid to the littlest, oldest ladies would say, 
oh, John Hadid helped me with X, Y, Z. I was just always hearing John Hadid helped me. John Hadid helped me. And I remember there's this very specific, I actually posted about it on Instagram on my old account before I was hacked. But I remember one morning I came down, I had slept in. I don't know if one of the kids was up or whatever, but you had folded all the laundry Mm -hmm. and left it on the mudroom table. And I went in and saw it. And while I did that, I happened to look out the window and your dad had come up to cut uh, the lawn. Right, uh-huh. Do you remember that? Yeah, 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 I do. And I just remember being really struck mm-hmm. by, you know, exactly like you said, like you just have, you're always looking for ways to help people, which we really benefit from. Yeah. And I looked out and your dad had knew that you had a busy day yeah. and was like, let me so come up and know the lawn for Johnny. For me. Yeah. 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 Now we started to, but then I stopped asking the question. So we haven't talked about your mom who was not Palestinian and you, you didn't spend most of your time with since, you know, you were nine. Yeah. What ways do you think that she shaped your identity? So how did she affect my identity? You know, it's, it, that's a really hard question because I think I'm, I would say that, you know, for someone to affect you, you know, it's done by the amount of time that you spend around them. So, you know, you know, it's hard to pinpoint, you know, how those things happened. I do know that my mom was also a very generous mm-hmm. and caring person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I would have seen that a lot, you know, before my parents got divorced. Mm-hmm. And even the mm-hmm. times when I saw her, you know, mm-hmm. you saw it. She would always give people the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember we were driving. Mm-hmm. I forgot what it, I don't remember mm-hmm. the story, to be honest with you. <laughs> but it was clear she bought this little Chevette. And there was clearly something wrong with it. And it was mm-hmm. it was obvious that the guy did something that wasn't right. He ripped her off. He yeah. ripped her off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so my, my brother, Paul, was very protective of my mom. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, he was going to take care of it. But he's like, mm-hmm. Mom, you should go back. And she's mm-hmm. like, no, he didn't really. And it's like, it's clear. <laughs> it's clear. He, he, he treated you badly. Right. But, mm-hmm. you, know, or, you know, her whole thing was... Mm-hmm. Um, it couldn't be, you know, mm-hmm. um, and this is something he didn't know. And it just was like that. And so I think it mm-hmm. all got worked out. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Well, you're right. That's very much something that you have from her. You have a you know. very soft heart. You're always going to believe the best in everybody. Yeah. And I always tell this story, but it's it's so true because I think I realized pretty early on that I was falling in love with you. But as I said on another podcast the other day. <laughs> You can't choose who you fall in love with, but you can most definitely choose who you marry. Yeah. And yeah. And I was really like, (laughs) what decision am I making here? Because you're very, you're very much like your dad in a lot of ways, but you're very different than him in other ways. And I kept asking myself, am I not seeing this right? What am I not seeing? I couldn't put the pieces together. Like they didn't fit. And then you said, I think we had been dating six months and you said, why don't you come meet my mom? Mm-hmm. You know this story, yeah, uh-huh. right? Absolutely. I mean, as soon as that woman walked out of the house, it's like I I could see in my mind's eye that peace yeah. falling into place. Well, and that's what I was going to say. I mean, you know, you never discount genetics, right? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so I do think that mm-hmm. is clear because you know, mm-hmm. while my dad is all those things, you know, my, my dad is genetics being Palestinian. I know he would terrify my friends sometimes because <laughs> they'd come in and, and it's interesting because it's what you get used to, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, what they would consider my dad going crazy, mm-hmm. just, and mm-hmm. I mean, your dad was screaming at you. 
it was just a different level of what mm-hmm. you'd expect. And I think, you know, you probably saw some of that and mm-hmm. I wasn't exhibiting that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, you probably, <laughs> what the, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. what's going on here? Yeah. But your mom, you know, as soon no, as she mom. walked out of the house, that smile on her face, yeah. it was your smile. You guys laughed at all the same jokes. Yeah. She did. She had the most, to her great difficulty in yeah. life, she was unwilling or unable to confront she was just willing to take on herself. Yeah. When someone treated someone yeah. wrong, she just she just took it. Yeah. And was like you said, willing to take look at the best in others. And she, I just, I actually, I was telling the kids the other day because they, oh, because we were talking about the stupid goats that I hated. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, you had to respect your mom for the fact that she loved animals and man if, so you, had a, if you had a hurt cat or a hurt dog somewhere right. it was coming home right um, and i think that that kind of fit that part of her heart that just really needed to shower people with love and probably needed to receive unconditional love she did which animals gave her she did mm-hmm. and i think i mean you know i i will say you know she she was not weak in that so she had to work for herself. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I would actually, when she used to work at a place called Fashion Bug, <laughs> you know, quite often after school, we'd have to go to work with mm-hmm. her. She'd have to come mm-hmm. pick us up and bring us back to work. And so we'd spend the rest of the day at work with her mm-hmm. because she couldn't just take us back to the house. And um, this is after they got divorced. Mm-hmm. But you, I mean, you saw her working her way through. Finally, mm-hmm. she got a job at, at Standard Federal Bank and she moved herself up through mm-hmm. the bank and she became a manager or whatever, a, a mm-hmm. decent position. You know, she had to fight for a lot of things. So she... She knew how to push, you know, Mm. I wouldn't, I would never discount her in that respect. Mm -hmm. So I've wondered about this a lot and, you know, (laughs) basically people just had a lot of questions along the lines of, you know, is it great that Becky likes to cook or, you know, how much do you love Becky's cooking (laughs) or things like that? And I started to think, actually, it's, it's interesting given our, our very, very different backgrounds that food and and mealtimes actually never turn into a point of conflict between us. I'm going to ask like a barrage of questions and you kind of pick and choose. So I never saw your mom cook. I'm wondering if you ever remember her cooking. And I'm also, your dad really didn't cook. You ate the big Arabic feasts, but your dad... We ate a lot of frozen TV dinners, really, is what we yeah, ate. Yeah, I mean, there, there was no ate. time for you would get else. a You'd get a spaghetti dinner from time to time, mm-hmm. or, you know, we would cook some steaks from time to time, something like that. Do you remember anything about your mom cooking? Like, do you think it was the same before they got divorced? No, I do think she... I do think she cooked, but I don't remember it, and, you know... Part of it is, I will say, and we just were never in the house. Yeah. You we, almost didn't know what your mom was doing. You were too I, young. I actually really, didn't know what yeah, she was you were doing. Too young. We were always just outside in the neighborhood playing. Yeah. And to be honest, looking back, so for listeners, John's mom died of something called Shy Drager syndrome, which mm-hmm. is like Parkinson's, but with a extra symptom that caused mm-hmm. it to be diagnosed. And so when I look back, because she died... Um, 2011, I believe. January. 2011. So we had been married uh, eight years. Yeah. Okay. So I probably met her 10 years before she died. To be honest, I think she probably started exhibiting symptoms, unbeknownst to us, and probably even unbeknownst to her, almost as long as I knew her. So I probably don't really know. Again, I met her very, very few times, and she was 
getting sick. I mean, yeah. it was a long yeah. time yeah. before she was diagnosed. Yeah. So I probably don't have the scoop at all on whether or not she ever cooked. I imagine that would be yeah. one of the first things that you would not be able to do with Parkinson's like symptoms. Yeah. And so I think we're using the word cook just to be clear, right? The cook is you start with ingredients from scratch and kind of put a meal together, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I'm sure, you know, she did things like by things that were frozen to put them together to make some sort of right, meal, right. whether, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, I don't know that she yeah. would do things like bake a loaf of bread or... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But honestly, even also that time period, a lot, like convenience food was very, very, very yeah. much thing, even yeah. to the point that now, to the point that my mom was, so my mom was a little younger yeah. than yours, but it was very new that my mom nursed us, yeah. that she breastfed us. Like huh. formula was just the thing. Like yeah. everything had become so convenience-based for well, a little while there. I know my mom breastfed. Yeah. <laughs> That's not even where we were trying to go, but (laughs) what were you thinking of? (laughs) No, I don't know how. Well, actually, with Aki, right? Because apparently Teddy walked in the room and was like, get that thing out of his mouth. (laughs) So, so. I don't know if it was just that one time or what, but... Okay, um, okay, okay. That's not even where we were going with this. But yes, the idea of convenience food and that... Yeah, so anyhow, let's... What I want to get back to is your dad didn't cook, your mom didn't cook, you had these huge Arabic feasts. Yeah. You are married to someone who's posting a podcast that's kind of all about cooking and the importance of food and i would say that at least when we met to you food was basically entirely functional like there was not a lot of money for food yeah i mean not like you went hungry but i mean you were you were like you weren't splurging on food let's put it that way you were not splurging on food it was like you there were not really even the idea of meal times like you just ate well, we when never, you were hungry. Actually, we never, actually mm. until we got married and started doing dinner at whatever it was, we never sat down for dinner. Yeah. I mean, Mm-mm. that was never the case. I mean. Yeah. So food has, except for these big Arabic feasts, yeah. food has been completely functional yeah. in your life. Yeah. And that's obviously not how it is for me. Yeah. How, like, <laughs> what? Where do you stand on food these days, sweetie? Um, <laughs> Has that been an adjustment? Does it mean more to you? Is it just something you do for my sake? I don't know. No, definitely not for your sake. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I do enjoy. I don't know. It's it's a good question. I can clearly say that you know I'm not one of these people that will walk into a fine restaurant <laughs> and appreciate. <laughs> You know, you know, you walk into these five restaurants. That's because you get such good cooking at home. Well, I do, and that's that is that is part of it. Actually, um, you know, sometimes you're always constantly comparing. You're like, well, you know, I'm paying fifty bucks for this meal, and like, you know, now it's discounting the time that you put into it. Mm. But you know, it's I'm like, this is this is not as good at all as what I would get at home. You know, Mm. and so. Um, Thank so, you for that compliment so, I so blatantly asked for. <laughs> <laughs> so no, that that is definitely the case. I do appreciate, 
you know, sitting down and just taking time for a meal, just because life is busy, mm-hmm. you know, I don't find it to be, I don't make it a part of my life, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of, okay, now we've got to make sure we take the time to do this. Like, it sort of is a functional aspect, mm-hmm. but it is always, you know, like I'm for your your philosophically for you it's functional because in practicality philosoph- we do dinner every night. Yeah, that's philosophically something. it is it's functional. And again, that's not to say that I just I don't you know when I sit down to it and, and we have it have a, a great meal which we have almost every night. I enjoy it, especially mm-hmm. actually with this podcast, right? You're always trying these new things and like, you know, we're, you know, yeah, I'm like, lucky that you yeah, have no, such like, an adventurous like, I love it, yeah. you know, and I enjoy mm-hmm. it. And that's why, you know, I want to be clear, like I'm the benefactor of something mm-hmm. that I may not have known I would like, yeah, it's but not I like, something, you know? Well, it's not something you sought out and if you lost it, I'm not going to say you wouldn't miss it, but I don't think that you would out of yourself replace it well it's interesting because i've actually started to really enjoy just doing a, like i don't do hardly anything in the kitchen That's but not true. you know there are like what, what i tried to make that one night the um when you guys were at church coming back that i think it was a spin. oh oh yeah. i know what happened you okay i said you were gonna make the repo no well no what happened is <laughs> I, I, had bunch, I, I had a bunch i had yeah, right i had a bunch of chickpeas i left yeah. Behind the doubles recipe because we really liked that. Yeah. But you thought yeah. that it was the arepas. Yeah. And that's what you were wanting. And you were like, I can't find the right flour. It's not going to yeah, look right. right. <laughs> and so I, I made some, I, well, but I really enjoyed You followed directions and they were delicious. They just weren't yeah. what you had set your mind to. But I love those just as much. But yeah. I enjoyed that, you know. And actually, I'm, you know, I make, I yeah. make, it's, it's actually not a joke when I actually always ask Jack about, you know, being able to do those cooking classes yeah. with him. So well, I've actually really is, come to enjoy yeah. it. And yeah, you know, you're good at anything you do. You're just overflowing yeah. with energy. And I do think you appreciate good food. Like you have a very expansive no, palate. No, I do appreciate it. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's not wasted on me. You're low maintenance. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. You're very low maintenance, which is a beautiful thing. I like that about you. I don't have to have it when I'm out. Yeah. I can live on peanut butter and jelly when we need to. Yeah. (laughs) Much to your dismay. (laughs) (laughs) So two two non-food related things that I want to talk about earlier when we were talking about your, when we were talking about your mom and how she had an influence on you just simply by the. I mean, by the biological fact of being your mom and how I experienced that when I saw her and your smiles were just identical and I could tell so many parts of you that I couldn't put together, like made sense. Um, Tell me a little bit about your approach. Well, basically, I just want to say you're a wonderful Mm, father. Thank you. You are. You're just such a great father. And it's something that always makes me, you know, just fall a little bit more Mm. in love with you every day. And most people listening know that we have have two Mm -hmm. adopted sons and two biological sons. And I feel very strongly that those are stories that belong to them, not to us. So we don't talk about those, but in terms of parenting, people did ask about the experience of parenting biological kids and adopted kids. What's that like? So I want to know what's your overall philosophy and approach. <laughs> it's how, how are you such a great dad? <laughs> That's what we want to know. How are you such a well, great dad? And also what would you say are some of the challenges or differences? Are there any differences between adopted parenting, um, adopted and biological kids? So 
I think what I tell a lot of, I'd say more guys than anything else is mm. that. Yeah, and I do want to say we're always happy to talk about this in our personal lives yeah. for people who are, you know, struggling in some way with their story, but we're not going to publicly share our kids' stories. Well, so, you know, it obviously goes back to when Jack was born, right? And, mm. um, and so. <laughs> Jack is biological, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jack's our oldest. He's biological. And when he was born, it, you know, just going through that process, everybody's like, it's so transformative. You just, it's nothing like it. And, once you become a dad, you're going to just, and you know, Jack was born and I was like, I felt none of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I, mm-hmm. I actually felt bad for him. I was like, you know, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Like mm-hmm. I had no attachment to the kid whatsoever mm-hmm. that not to, not, you know, but what happens is right. You know, you, you change your diaper the first day and the second day, third day, fourth day, and you're giving bottles and mm-hmm. you know, you're just spending time with the kid. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's where a relationship came mm-hmm. from. You know, that, that's, so it wasn't so much that he was biological. It was just, it was through time, mm. you know, through time and, and energy and commitment, you know, mm. that's when you're like, okay. And so I had that experience long before we even thought mm-hmm. about adopting, you know, mm-hmm. but in, so for my, in, in my mind, I never struggled with adoption just because in general, you know, I know we had some other questions we had to answer, but mm. with just mm-hmm. having an adopted child didn't concern me at all because it had nothing for me. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with the fact that that child was biologically related no, to me. I, yeah. I mean, it was clearly, it was just time and energy and commitment. And that's, you can put that into somebody that's biological or not biological. Yeah. And so, and yeah, I think for both of us, there was never this yeah. concept of it came from us or yeah, like no, that, that I, bonded I, us to our kids and which I do think is the minority and maybe part of the reason we knew yeah, that yeah, we no. knew that adoption would work for us and our family and that we had so much peace about that. You know, what? what's another thing that I think is very common for people to feel that it's a um, kind of like a child is an expression of the love between two yeah. people. I mean, I don't like there's obviously like the yeah, biology of no, how it comes right. about, but I didn't really feel... I think parenting very much. Well, I think but it both again, bonds I mean, but, and but, challenges but a relationship. But again, that's experience, right? Right. I mean, that's what it is. There's, for me, there was, it's a sound, I don't know if it's sound good or bad, but for me, from day one, I was the same before and the same the yeah. next day. Like, yeah. nothing had changed for me. Yeah. Like, I was excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was happy, but you know, and here's you the were deal. fully committed to the role. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. but the same thing when we when we got the call to bring Joshua home, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there was an ex- I mean, it was just mm-hmm. like it was just exciting, you know. Yeah, and, I do. I think it's just it was it's like, another role that you say, yes, I'm committing to this with all my heart, exactly. and I will never ever. That's right, and you know, and even to this out. day, you know, obviously, when you look at our family, you know that we have. <laughs> some adopted and some biological, but, you know, I make a point to, you know, I never use the word, you know, I have two biological. No, I, I, I just n- say we have four I children. never say, I have four mm-hmm. kids mm-hmm. and people can draw whatever conclusions they want to draw mm-hmm. once they see <clears throat> us together because mm-hmm. in my mind, there absolutely is no distinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, that was really easy for me from day one. Mm-hmm. Why do you think you're such a great dad, John? Well, <laughs> I think you, I... I'll take your word for it. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, I don't know what. Well, I'm, then let me ask it this way. Yeah. Let me ask it this way. I have a lot of people on here that are very successful and their stories often remind me of yours because you have personally found a lot of success in your work. And I'll ask two things. One, 
what do you credit that to the success that you've of a small software company and how do you think that you balance your success and your availability? You know, you are like rock um, solid. They always know John Hadid will solve the problem, but our kids yeah. also always know you will be available for them. Our kids know that. How do you balance that? So success, um, interesting. You know, I would say obviously persistence and hard work. I mean, obviously I do believe always pays off you know as a christian i do believe that the lord has just opened up doors that and has allowed things to work out that i don't know that i even knew were going to work out so it's mm. not like i had a you know some great plan mm. um even the plan i had originally mm. kind of kind of fizzled out mm. as a new one opened up now you could mm -hmm. say well i had to you know i had to see that opportunity and mm. and take a chance on it and and, and there is that but you know, I wasn't seeking out the opportunity as in like, well, that's a, you know, a five-year business plan growth model, mm. you know? Actually, so, what happened is you were forced into it because I ended up, bam, in the hospital totally unexpectedly right. with my pregnancy and I couldn't work. And I was actually, my income was going to support the first parts of your plan. That fell through. And then you just started something else and then blah, 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 blah. Right. Well, you know, you know, first rule of business, always get a signature, right. You know, on a contract and, oh, that's you right. know, I, I, forgot about right, that. I quit my job cause I had this, cause, <laughs> I, I, cause I, I had this contract quote unquote in hand oh, and my you know, word. so that was like, okay, well I'm quitting now, you know, so, so, you know, right. Oh, Two weeks that. after I quit, you know, yeah. the guy reneges and says that we're not going to go through with it. So now we really are dependent upon your, that's your, right. your income, I then, forgot about that. then you're pregnant, then you go on bed rest and lose your income. Yeah. Right. So here's what I'm saying. Literally, you went in the hospital on Friday, Saturday, mm. a guy that I used to work with mm. that I hadn't seen for maybe a year or two. I don't know exactly. Mm. Uh, maybe a year. Mm. Um, calls me and says their company needs some help for six months to finish up a project. Mm. Mm -hmm. Not only was it a half a mile down the street from the hospital where you were staying, mm. um, not knowing me, they let me work remotely. Mm. So I was able to just have my laptop at the hospital mm -hmm. just working. I didn't plan that out, right? Mm -hmm. So in terms of success, you know, I think there's hard work, perseverance, finding opportunity. There is a little bit of like taking a risk and just trying to see what will happen and mm -hmm. being able to, you know, not let that, you know, kill you in the process. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I do think in terms of balance, it's kind of knowing what you want, right? Mm. And work is something you kind of got to do to to live. I do happen to really enjoy my work, so it mm -hmm. makes it much, much easier. But, you know, I think the idea of mixing work and life together is nice because I don't want to, like, to me, to get old and say I have an international multi-billion or trillion dollar company but actually mean nothing to me, mm. you know, because that's not what I want out of this life, right? Mm. That's not what I want. What do you want out of this life? You know, I mean, you know, you have the idea of having a family is like, well, that's kind of where you are, you know? Mm. And so that's always the first, if you ever have to decide, you know, A or B, mm. right? Work or family, something has to get done and the other one's going to get left undone. Mm -hmm and there's no other way around it, mm. you know, family is always going to win out. I mean, mm. that's just no doubt. What does help is, you know, and you mentioned it, I did build something where people trust me. Mm. And so when I say, 
I'm not going to have this for you tomorrow. Mm. It's going to have to be in, you know, whatever because mm. of this. Mm. They know that. And so I. They I, know that it's coming in 72 hours if you, or less right? if you say it's coming in It's always hours. there. Yeah. It's always mm-hmm. there. And, you know. You, you, mm-hmm. And your employees have a lot of loyalty to you because you look out for them. Yeah. You know, and so mm-hmm. it's, it's very rare that something, a deadline's not met. So mm-hmm. when those times come and I, and I've got to put something on the back burner, mm-hmm. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. that's fine, mm-hmm. you know. Well, and you said, I, I remember you said this when we definitely didn't have all four kids. I don't know who we had, but I remember you said to me, every single day, I think about how brief this time is. It is brief. And, you know, and everything. And we, we're starting to see that now. As Jack, yeah. I mean, we've got yeah. two years with Jack. It is brief, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and even as, yeah, obviously, we always, as a Christian, right, you know, the thing that you. You, you think about is you're you're a steward of you know and and the goal is to try to be you know a good steward of that and and so in this case having a family right you know there's uh, whether it's a father or a husband or whatever it is you know I answer to you know God for, mm. and so my goal is not to just see how much money I can put in the bank but mm. you know I know one of your questions was did I have a new identity? Mm. you know get added into mm. and did I did I struggle with that and you know that kind of plays into what I'm saying right I mean I started to really identify as a as a Palestinian and and I did you know I mean without ever being a part of their plight you know I sympathize with it I guess is the right word I don't know mm. but then as a Christian that became my higher identity and all that to say is just you know one of the things that we like to do is 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 support use our finances to support mm-hmm. and today just goes back to being a steward it's not about how much money can i have so i can have what would you would call maybe a better life so anyway that's mm-hmm. so the last question is you know people basically just want to know the podcast how it affects you and why you're supportive of it why am i supportive of it um yeah. we talked about you know things that i'm good at and things that i'm able to accomplish and do and mm. there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do the things that you know you're great at and and are, are clearly great at and so it's not hard to support you in doing this podcast because you know look you don't care about software right <laughs> but you're supportive of me mm. doing what i'm doing right mm-hmm. and you know yeah there's reasons a b a b and c for that right well, the fact is you're really good at what you do. And for me, even in some some aspect, it is a podcast about food. I mean, it's clear that you create some connection with, if not 100%, 99% of the people that come on. You know, you quite often are, you know, it's an hour, it's supposed to be an hour long, but you quite often are two and three hours <laughs> with maybe even follow-up phone calls to just to catch up, you know. Mm. And so you strike that connection. And, you know, I think that's a gift that you have. Mm. And I love to see that. And so in my mind, mm-hmm. why would I not, mm-hmm. you know, why would I not mm-hmm. support that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, you were very generous in your compliments of me. Oh. Um, but, you know... I mean, the reality is it does take two to make things happen. You know, mm-hmm. you presented a side where I'm always available. And, and, that, and, and that probably is true. And I'm, I'm happy that's how you remember it. But, but mm-hmm. at the same time, there was a lot of things you've had to give up and sacrifice in order for, you know, us to be where we are, right? Um, well, I think we've been a team. We I have, think we've been a team. No, we have been a you team. Know? I mean, and we that, have been a team. And, yeah. And so... Yeah. But a team only works if both people are trying to, you know. That's true. You know. That's true. 
trying but to you're my together. favorite teammate. Right, you're my favorite teammate. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favorite so, recipe you want to share? Do I have a favorite recipe? Oh, man, that's a hard one to ask. You um, do. You're uh, asking in terms of your podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, Arepo's by far. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no yeah. doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, those just seem always to come up in my cravings. <laughs> so everybody always asks how we met. Well, how we met. So the story that I always say is obviously, so it took me a while to get through school. And oh, so we yeah. happened to... <laughs> Now, I want to make this clear, because you were working the whole time. You put yourself and your brother through school. I was working, but Uh it it took me a while. So I I basically went into into college, and I was still there after you graduated, went to Japan for a year, came back. (laughs) graduated high school. Graduated high school, went to Japan for a year, came back, (laughs) and then came to college, and I was still in college. So we actually, at that point, became peers, whereas before, we were clearly not peers. And then we started doing things together with the church group. Yeah. And, you know, it ultimately came down to the one trip that we did mm-hmm. uh, for the, we used to take a, that yearly. Yeah. It went, we went to the lake, like yeah. a bunch of the, a bunch of the college age yeah. kids. Yeah. And then we went out on the lake one night and yeah. um, I was trying to hold your hand, <laughs> but, and, and I guess you didn't know what I was trying to do. And then all of a sudden it dawned on you. So you whipped your hand out of my hand. Um, but I think that's when it started. And yeah, then, uh, I think that's where it started. And then obviously yeah. we played a little bit of cat and mouse. And then, you know, we would meet up. There was always these little things that kind yeah. of just were definitely somewhat calculated, right? I mean, yeah, it wasn't, a, it wasn't chance. Well, all right. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Is there anything you wanted to share that I haven't asked about? Nope, I think that's it. All right. I love you. I love you too. Okay. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode with John. You can find the recipe for his favorite spinach pies, also with their kind of sister recipe, meat pies, um, from an authentic Arabic cookbook gifted to me by John's cousin. You can find that over on the blog, my blog, thestoriedrecipe.com. Also, I do want to say that I know hearing about a happy marriage can be really tough for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. And if you are going through something tough, I just want to let you know that I'm here and I'm more than happy to listen to you. Please feel free to email me at becky at thestoriedrecipe.com. And I'd love to support you just again by listening. Also, I have learned a little bit about cooking Middle Eastern food over the years, but a friend of mine is an expert. Cosette Pasco is the daughter of two Lebanese immigrants. Her father is a professional cook of Lebanese food and is actually known as the pie man because of his expertise in making these very pies. Cosette is a former educator, classroom educator, and also a food blogger over at Cosette's Kitchen. And she has just combined these two things to open up online cooking classes available to all with a focus on Middle Eastern food for some of her sessions. You can sign up at her blog, Cosette's Kitchen. P.S. I do want you to know this is not a paid advertisement. I'm just good friends with Cosette and I really believe in what she's doing and I think you may benefit from that. I also think Middle Eastern food is some of the most delicious food in the world. Finally, um, I did want to share that when I started the Storied Recipe podcast, we got off to a really strong start with ratings and reviews. Right now we have 64, which is a great showing. But along the way, I kind of stopped asking. And so, of course, I stopped receiving. And uh, I need more ratings and reviews to help this podcast grow right now. 
Part of the reason I stopped asking is I knew it was a pain for a lot of you, for a lot of listeners. In fact, even my own younger brother mentioned that he wasn't sure how to leave a review as much as he wanted to support me. So now I have a nifty little service that automatically knows what device you're using and it allows you to leave a rating or review with just one click. So would you please help me out by doing that? You can just go to you can do this one of two ways. One, go to lovethepodcast.com slash the storied recipe. That's lovethepodcast.com slash the storied recipe. Or you can head over again to my website, thestoriedrecipe.com, and you can find that link in my show notes. And just click, choose an option that will be available on your device, and leave a rating or a review. Thank you, thank you, thank you in advance. Every single one really does help. And finally, I want to thank two recent reviewers for the following very, very lovely reviews. A friend from Greece says, such an interesting podcast with wonderful stories centered around food, but there is so much more to it. Recommend. Also, another friend says, I love this podcast. Becky is a great interviewer and storyteller. Thank you. I give the credit to my guests. I enjoy hearing about the lives of her guests and how cooking has influenced them. I highly recommend listening. Thank you both for your reviews. And again, thank you in advance for leaving a rating or review. If you're a little shy with words, a five-star rating helps also. Finally, forward this episode to friends or family members if you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe. I will talk to you next week and have a great week, my friends. Bye.